Welcome to Radio J. Rude Healthy Living. Once again, my name is Elias Gruber, a certified nutritionist with offices in Borough Park at 4315 14th Avenue and in Yerushalayim. Before we begin today's exciting show, I would like to give you a brief introduction for our first-time listeners to, to my vision. My vision, my mission as a certified nutritionist, as well as the developer of the Nutri-Supreme Research and Education Center and the Nutri-Supreme Research Vitamin Company. My target goal, and I mean I'm trying to hit as much as I can a bullseye, is to bridge a very wide gap. Do I mean a wide gap between the two fields, nutrition and medicine? I'm on an ongoing basis communicating with some of the top medical centers in the countries, doctors, scientists, researchers, in order to be able to implement, in order to achieve this goal, the mission of bridging this such a wide gap between medicine and nutrition. The, mi- the message is very clear, crystal clear. I want to convey to our listeners today is that many of the chronic, if not all the chronic diseases of today could be prevented by implementing. By implementing, I mean, means you need to carry it through a strong, a balanced structure of healthy living lifestyle habits. I call them the four pillars, the fundamental foundation, the four pillars, wise food choices, Wise, and do I mean wise food choices for ourselves, for our family? No, that's number one. The second pillar, a structured exercise program, both cardio exercises, for example, brisk walking, treadmill, elliptical, bicycle. That's one part. The other part, which is extremely important, especially when you get into endocrinology, into diabetes, especially diabetes type 2, is resistant training, resistant training, such as weightlifting, weightlifting. Start with light weights, get in an instructor to show you what to do, and clear it with your physician. Push-ups, things that are resistant training exercises that, it, that exercise the muscles. You want to exercise as many muscles in your body as possible, all parts of the body. Number three, the third pillar, sleep. And we live in such a sleep, the sleep deprivation is massive today. Proper sleep, quantity, the amount of sleep, and the quality. Everybody, I would say 99.9% of the people that walk into my office for a consultation is sleep deprived. We're not getting enough sleep. Stress management. I don't have to go into all the issues regarding the stresses of the day of what we go through today from Europe, from the Parnassa, from the Shalom Bayis, to the Chinech Bonim, so many problems today. We need some type of stress management. Number five, avoiding as much as possible, limiting, if possible, avoiding the environmental toxins today. They surround everywhere. They surround us. They're in the food. They're in the air. They're in our water. We need to have we need to have a balanced biochemistry, not overactive and not underactive. Today's society, I can't reiterate enough times, that we live in an overconsumption, overconsumption of food, not what it was 100, 150 years ago, when people didn't have bread and butter on the table or bread and milk on the table. We have food today, but it's overconsumption. And with that overconsumption, we're still, there is still malnutrition. We're so depleted in different vitamins and different minerals, essential fatty acids. We're so imbalanced. We live in a quick-fix generation. People don't have time today. They're so busy. There's no time to exercise. There's no time to prepare food, healthy food. It's the minute rice. It can't be the white minute rice. It can't be the 45-minute brown rice. We have no time for that. We have no time to prepare these healthy meals. We have no time to sleep. How many people come to me? I said 99.9%. They're sleep deprived. Mr. Group, I have no time. I got to get my work done. But the day, the quality, the eiches of the day is so compromised. For every another hour, another two hours they would sleep, they would gain four hours of quality time. Even with all the modern technology, you think things would be easier today. It's come so complicated. Many people, so many people, their health is so compromised. 
physically, mentally, emotionally. We live in a generation, I hate to say, a generation of psychiatric, psycho, psychotropic medications, psychiatric conditions. Today, aggressiveness among children, among teenagers, among adults, it's never seen, the world has never seen this before. Anxiety, all kinds of anxiety problems. We live in a generation of clonopin, depression. How many people, children, adolescents, one in five children, according to the CDC, Adolescents have a psychiatric problem that needs intervention. We're living in a generation of Paxil, a generation of Zoloft. Bipolar disorder in the last 10 years has increased 40 times. We live in a generation of lithium and Depakote. And even psychosis. I don't mean to bring things from under, out of the closet, but I see and I hear and I speak and I, and I communicate. There's so many problems, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Why? It's like today, I hate to say, it's normal. It's normal to be abnormal. I said to my wife once, I said, you know, not in too long a period of time, if, we can, if not it's already happening, we need to tie a string around our neck and a sign needs to be hanging on us saying that we are normal because the people that are abnormal seem normal and the people that are normal seem abnormal. This, I'm not giving you exaggerations. This is where the generation is leading. This is the GPS of the generation. So Nutra Supreme has been at the forefront from designing formulations besides the five pillars that I just mentioned. Formulations, the Nutri-Supreme Research Vitamin Company, to target many of these psychiatric prog- problems and working with psychiatrists and this fulfilling this concept of bridging this so wide gap between medicine and nutrition. Diabetes type 2, these, this is the second disease. The second problem that's skyrocketing in this country, which is totally preventative. There's no question about the gold standard in every medical endocrinology textbook. Not that I've read every medical endocrinology textbook, but it's so, it's so obvious. The gold standard protocol is not your metformin is not your Genuvia, is not your insulin, it's diet and exercise. This is causing the epidemic among children and adolescents of diabetes type 2. Baruch Hashem, coordinating with scientists, coordinating with research in the field, Mitz Hashem Nutra Supreme will be launching a blood sugar formula in the next several weeks to target, to help promote healthy blood sugar. And one last minute, I would like to mention Alzheimer's. More and more people, younger people, 60s, early 70s, and sometimes even younger, diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The number one risk factor for Alzheimer's disease is age, but it's not part of aging. Alzheimer's is not, it's not a GP, aging is not a GPS for Alzheimer's. Healthy aging means no Alzheimer's disease. There is an epidemic, dementia, dementia, cognitive disorders, function, Alzheimer's disease is escalating. The fastest growing population in the United States, the baby boomers, the people in the 60s, late 50s, 60s, 70s, these people, these people are at risk. And you know what? There is lifestyle factors that I mentioned can have such a profound effect in helping to prevent something that's so devastating as Alzheimer's disease. Baruch Hashem, again, communicating with scientists, researchers, looking at the data, looking at the studies, looking at the work of UCLA in California. Nutri-Supreme Research recently launched a product called Optimized Curcumin, for this target goal, healthy aging. I just received an email last week. Not only curcumin, healthy aging, there is data now supporting that curcumin for depression. What does Alzheimer's do have with depression? And we use curcumin for arthritis and inflammatory problems. What does one field have to do with the other? 
Because depression today, the whole serotonin theory, the, SSI, the SSRIs, the Paxil, the, the Zoloft, the Prozac, it's a very flawed theory. Very, very flawed theory. And a lot of the research is leading now that depression is an inflammatory process in the brain. And this is what's happening. We're living in an inflamed, in an inflamed way of life, and it's causing brain problems that I mentioned. The message, again, to the listeners, I want it to be crystal clear, crystal clear. Education, education, education. Prevention, prevention, prevention. This is what we need to to be tuned into for ourselves, for our family, you that are listening, the gatekeepers of the family. Let's get on board. Let's get on board and implement and start, even if it's a slow start. But let's start. Let's get off and start on a right track. Without further delay, we have a very special show today. A woman that is known in the community, Baruch Hashem, she has helped, she has guided so many people. Hundreds, if not thousands of people, whether children, adolescents, adults, teaching them, giving over the right tools and skills in order to achieve, help them to achieve their true potential. People today, it's like, I remember hearing from one of the Gedolim many years ago, it's like a bottle with a cap on it. There's so much inside there, and it's not able to get outside. We just got to take off the cap. We got to unlock it. We got to unlock it and let flow over the happiness to be able to be able to do well, whether it's in school, whatever it is, to be able to reach a potential that the Rabbani Shalom gave us. Mrs. Rivka Schoenfeld, the founder of SOS, has been helping people overcome their challenges, and there's so many challenges today. For over 30 years, as a beloved teacher, a popular counselor, educational, motivational writer, she has influenced thousands of lives. Mrs. Schoenfeld founded SOS on the premise that everyone, and do I mean everyone, without exception, can learn if they are given the right tools and taught the right skills. She dedicates herself to implementing, to help implement those tools and skills, whether it's children, whether it's adolescents, whether it's adults. And she takes great joy in seeing the clients enjoy success. I understand her 100%. So without further delay, I would like to introduce our guest today, Mrs. Rivka Schoenfeld. Thank you so much, Rabbi Eliezer. Such kind words. I hope Mietz Hashem I will live up to the expectations of Mietz Hashem with Hashem's help. Yeah, you have so much to offer. You have a wealth of information and experience. So I think we do. if we could do like a question-answer period this time, and we'll invite in guests later, uh, calls later in the show. I would like to ask you, I see a lot of children today, a lot of adolescents and even adults, more aggressive behavior, you know what I mean? And I hear from the parents bullying in school. Is there, is this when children or adolescents in school and they're bullying one to another, is it an isolated incident or when is it considered a more serious situation in order that parents now to be need to play a part and teachers need to play a part and be involved, strongly involved with these children? Okay, almost by definition, bullying cannot be an isolated incident. The definition of bullying is repeated aggressive behavior. So if, for instance, Rachel comes home from school and says Leah was mean to her, then that is a painful isolated incident. But in order for it to be defined as bullying, the behavior would need to be consistent and repeated. How, how, much, how many times repeated? A bit? I would say on the average, like if a child is in school and day after day or a child skips a day and it's, it's like three or four times a week, uh, children are bothering another child, that is definitely considered bullying. Uh, here, very, very, very solid information over here. Now, I would like to ask you like this. Mrs. Klein recently, her son has become much more apprehensive about going to school. So Mrs. Klein suspects that he may be the target of this bullying that you mentioned. 
Are there any signs that Mrs. Klein can tune into with her son that she should look for to determine if the child is really being bullied? Definitely. There are definite signs. And I indicate that also, these signs of bullying in my friend the bully. When a child returns home from school with torn, damaged clothing or missing clothing, seems afraid of going to school, suddenly begins to do poorly in school, complains frequently about headaches, stomach aches, or other illnesses, has trouble sleeping or frequent bad dreams, or appears anxious and suffers from low self-esteem. Those are the main signs of bullying that I would start thinking maybe the child is being bullied. And also if a child, when we speak to a child after school and the child feels insecure and starts getting afraid and fearful, then we see maybe one of the children who bullied the child in school says, if you tell your mother, we'll bully you even more the next day. Many bullies intimidate the bullied and say, if you're going to tell your mother, we'll make it worse for you the next day. And the child is very, very afraid. I had a child in my office the other day, and the whole year, she didn't t- uh, he didn't tell his mother that the children were throwing his knapsack all around the room. He couldn't even eat a snack because all the snacks fell out all over the floor. And the last day of school, um, by accident, another mother said, oh, you're Mrs. So-and-so? Your child was being bullied the entire year. Wow. And the mother couldn't believe the child kept it secret. Because the children warned the child, you tell your mother, we'll, we'll make things worse for you the next day at school. This was a little second grader. So probably the teacher should have communicated with the parent. Right. Or, or Another zach is, I was interviewing very hush of a rabbonim manal in Lakewood from one of the largest yeshivas. He prefers his name not be mentioned. It's going to be in Yetzirah in the bully um, in the Bina magazine, the bully roundtable in Rosh Hashanah issue. A very hush of a bullying roundtable, and he mentions that the briskerov was known to constantly know what his children were doing. That was the briskerov's thing. So I thought that was very interesting to mention, you know, that every parent should know what the children are up to. You know, in a roundabout, easy, very relaxing way, at the end of the day, ask your child, how was your day? That's all. And see the reaction. Very important. Very important information. Now I would like to ask you, we have like this. We know boys, girls. Is Is there differences in the type of bullying, let's say, that occurs among boys compared to the type of bullying that occurs among girls? Most definitely. Most definitely. Actually, when I wrote my bully book, it's geared a lot to boys because it's more accepted in all the schools, so I make it for boys. But I had many requests to write a book geared only for girls because the way girls bully and the way boys bully are totally different. For example? Girls use relationships to bully each other. It starts as early as preschool, when a girl realizes the supremacy of I won't be your friend anymore, relationships are of the utmost importance to girls in elementary school and high school. So they are measured. They measure their own worth by how many friends they have. And by the third grade, the esteem and friendship of peers is nearly as important to the girls as that of their families and is more important than the esteem of their teachers. They will be more inclined to listen to their friends than that of what their teachers say, because friendships are so important. And if someone threatens a girl with removing her friendship, she uses the most powerful weapon in her arsenal. By threatening to withhold friendship and approval from other girls, she can effectively control a group of friends. Whereas bullying by boys is often addressed and condemned, but social bullying by girls is usually brushed off as cruel but normal social interaction. A lot of the schools today have, let's say, social workers or psychologists today. Yes, they get involved. And a lot of these um, guidance counselors at schools are funded by the uh, by the government, and most schools today have guidance counselors. And one of the main things these guidance counselors are dealing with. Of course, anxiety, but one of the other things is bullying. And I'd like to share with you, Rebeliezer, some of the tactics that the class queens employ in order to keep their high social standing. This is what the, they call it, class queens. There's a terminology for it. They play jokes or tricks. 
designed to embarrass and humiliate. This is girls. They deliberate exclusion of other kids for no reason at all. They're whispering in front of other kids with the intent to make them feel left out. They make mean facial expressions, rolling their eyes and giving dirty looks. They're name-calling, rumor-spreading, and other malicious verbal interactions. Being friends one week and then turning against the peer the next week with no incident or no reason for the alienation. Amazing what they do. They're encouraging other kids to ignore or pick on a specific child and inciting others to act out violently or aggressively. These are girls, not boys. Whereas boys, they, give, they trip you, they give you, a, they give you a punch, they, do, they throw the ball at you. Girls are much more secretive. I interviewed a social worker, a top social worker in Eretz Yisrael. She used to live in New Jersey. Her name is Michal Geffner, and she says the girls that she sees, they're much more secretive, and they do things very, very connivingly. Boys are more in your face. Girls are more secretive. The girls, basically, the problem with the girls really get brushed off. That's, that's right. That's, definitely. That, that's, definitely. So it really needs to be very strongly addressed, this problem. Most Definitely. Okay, the next question I would ask you, Mrs. Schoenfeld, is the following. Mrs. Klein has an 11-year-old son that's complaining to the mother, to Mrs. Klein, about someone that bothers him in school. Well, she has no problem whatsoever talking to the teachers. She wants to know if this is the right thing to do. Is this the first step? At his age, shouldn't he be trying to deal with the problem on his own? Or should a parent come in now and be behind him and take an active part in this problem? No, I'm a strong advocate of, parent, of children dealing with things on their own. But bullying is something that I very strongly believe that it's a community effort. Because bullying does not just happen between the bully and the bullied, but it involves every member of the school or home community. It is a true community activity. However, not the way we want to think about the community activity. There are four points that I'd like to share. There are assistants in the act who actively join in the attack. There are reinforcers who give positive feedback to the bully, perhaps by smiling or by laughing or giggling. There are outsiders who stay back. They stay quiet and unwittingly condone the bullying behavior. And then there are defenders who try to intervene to stop the bullying or comfort the target. So occasionally teachers in the schoolyard will assume boys will be boys, or it will pass. But in reality, they are acting as outsiders, quietly condoning the bullying act. And this can be the worst type of bystander for the victim. After all, if the victim knows that someone sees and is doing nothing about it, they feel completely abandoned. And that's the worst feeling that a child or a teenager or anyone can feel. They want to feel protected, and it is the job of every teacher, every parent, and every manile to defend and make it a secure environment for the child. I would like to ask you, Mrs. Schoenfeld, the following. You know, I've mentioned several times on Radio J. Root, the problems today that psychiatrists, neurologists, social workers, psychologists are seeing today in the school system, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Five, as I mentioned, one in five, 20% of children and teenagers, adolescents have a psychiatric problem that needs some type of intervention. If we would look and isolate this bullying that you've been speaking about, you have books about, mm-hmm. where, have, let's say, and you've been around practicing, what, 30 years? Over 30 what, years, what, for what, in the, Let's say in the last decade, the last 10 years, have you seen a trend, more bullying, more problems with the children, with the adolescents, one to another? And what do you think is the underlying factor or factors that if there is sort of like an epidemic or a trend to more bullying in the schools, where is it, where is it coming from? I personally feel that parents are very, very busy today. And... Children are more chutzpahdik, more disobedient, and more uh, in control and allowed to do things as never before. I remember in our generation, there was not so much bullying. 
maybe there was a little bit bullying. There were definite bullies in the classrooms. I can't say not. I know in my own class there were there was a bully, and maybe even two bullies. But today the the thought of being able to do what one wants so freely and say what they want and do what they want is much more strong than it ever was before, and that's why children today are more disobedient. Parents are busy, and they're not really able to enforce. They're afraid that if they, you know, enforce it too much, their child will become at risk, and um, it'll be too difficult. They, they tread on eggshells. So many times, a lot of the incidents that are happening are being ignored. You know, I would like to mention, I remember, it must be, uh, without mentioning my age, uh, decades, literally decades ago, I can see in my eyes and my brain right now, I can picture two different people. And you're talking about decades ago. And I was this, you know, to me, Mystic, I was a nice, good student. And I remember the very, I'm trying to think of the age. One age, I think one, the first time must have been, must have been 11 years, 10 years old. I can see in front of me the face and I haven't seen this person since that year of school, that he would always try and chepper me. Maybe because, you know what I mean? I was, again, I, I used to listen to what the teacher said and abide by what the, the rules of the school. And I don't know if that was the reason, but it's, you know, I, I would imagine these people, the children, the adolescents, they go through it. You know what I mean? They have these pictures in their mind years, decades later, they will have about you and what happened in school, you know, years and years before. It has a terrible, terrible, devastating effect on, on, on grown-ups even today when children are bullied as they were younger. I'm seeing many people in my office, they're not being bullied today, but their self-esteem is so low because when they were younger, they were being wow, bullied. Well, well, I hear. Uh, now, the next question I would like to ask you, ask you is the following. There's Mrs. Weiss. Mrs. Weiss has a nine-year-old daughter. She's mamish. This daughter is, has so many milas, and she's about as chesed. She always wants to do right, what's right. So she came home one day upset. Why is she upset? Because several girls in the class are bullying a new girl. Some, a lot of times the new person, the new kid on the block, you know, gets a negative, you know, uh, bullying, whether it's bullying or, or uh, some type of negative issues with the, with the other children. So Mrs. she doesn't know what to do, this Mrs. Weiss' daughter. So she asked her mother. So the mother would like to know, what, what should the, this new, in other words, what should she do if she goes and helps this new girl? She's a little bit afraid that she herself will become the target of the class bullies, but she wants mm-hmm. to help the girl. She feels terrible about the girl. Excellent question. Very good, valid good question. I, 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 that question is such an amazing question. I'd love to share the answer, what I feel can be done. The best advice you can give your daughter is to help the new girl with several of her other friends. They can present a united front to the bullies. That is extremely important, a united front. She can't do it alone. She has to get a group of her friends and do this. To that end, tell her to talk to her friends and come up with a plan that they can act together. For example, they can walk over to the victim while she's being bullied and ask her to play with them, ignoring the bully altogether. And alternatively, they can walk up to the three, three, the three of them can walk up and they can tell the bully, stop bullying this girl even if they will become the targets, because bullies cannot stand up to a large group. Mm. Bullies are cowards. They cannot start up with a large group. And if she would get her friends, not make even a big deal, pull the bullied girl away, play a game with her, take her out of the situation, or tell the bully, stop bullying my friend. I mean, get three or four of her friends together as a team, and that yes. team should go over. 100% and go over and defend the bullied, definitely, mm-hmm. in a nice, proper way. Very constructive piece of information. The next question I would like to ask you, Mrs. Schoenfeld, is Mrs. Richmond. She got a very, very disturbing call from her son's Rebbe, in which the Rebbe describes her son as a bully. Mm-hmm. So the parent wants to know, what should she do? What can you do to stop the son without compromise her rela- compromising her relationship with her son and in order to help to pre- stop this destructive behavior? Wonderful, wonderful question. If her son is a bully, I believe and research believes, psychiatrists, psychologists, that the, ch- the bully 
needs more help than the child that is being bullied. We need to confront the child's behavior. Let your child know that aggressive and mean behavior is unacceptable. Dr. Harvey Karp, the author of The Happiest Kid on the Black, says to explain, just as I wouldn't let anyone hurt you, I won't tolerate you hurting anyone else. Make him aware in no uncertain terms that this behavior is completely intolerable to you. Be a role model. Don't let your children hear you badmouth other individuals or groups. It's unreasonable to hold your children to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Treating others with respect will teach your children to do the same. Find out what's going on in school. If nothing has changed at home, ask him if anything has changed in his school, social life. Maybe he's struggling to keep his friends or perhaps his friends are pressuring him to pick on another child. Remind him to say no. If his friends are the ones insisting that he's a bully to others, teach him through role-playing that he can say no. It's important that he learn how to assert himself in the face of peer pressure. Right the wrong. Talk to your child about how he can repair the wrongs he inflicted on another child. Perhaps he can write a letter apologizing to the other child. Or, if the other child is amenable, invite him for a play date in order to create positive interactions. I know that someone on the panel, the principal of Besiakov Durav Mayer, she said many times when the guidance counselor in her school does this, the children, the bully and the bullied, become best friends. Schedule an appointment with your child's school. The school staff that work with every child every day may be able to help you understand why your child is bullying and provide you with some tools to work with your child. So all these pointers will help the bully tremendously, but the bully definitely needs help. You know, the, one of the things you just mentioned, I just recently came back from Eretz Israel, and I was by a, a Autumn Godel's house, the Rebetzin is a very well-renowned mechaneches. She's a principal of a school. And she mentioned a few things to me that were getting, regarding chinuch. She said, when her, now her children, Baruch Hashem, they're grown, they're all married, her children. When the children were very young, she said a few things. She said, when they used to come home, besides her husband and herself setting such role models, like you say, the parents should not be speaking bad about people, you know, whether it's this person or this group of people. Don't speak bad about people because your children pick it up and they're going to do the same thing that you're doing. Exactly. And then she said to me, she said, you know, my children used to come home from school and they got off the bus and they came in. And I said to them when they walked in the door, you know, Chaim, I've been looking out the window for you for, you for four or five times during the, waiting for you to come home. She made the child feel like he's so important. Mm -hmm. And besides her and her husband setting as role models, mitzvahs, chesed, Torah, such a, a, a bias. And she told me, Baruch Hashem, now she has many, many enakalich now. She said, all of her children, Baruch Hashem, each one is a diamond within itself. Mm-hmm. I think, the, like you mentioned, the role models. A role model if you is want so your crucial. Children we learn more to, from role models than if the you preaching. Want you, that yeah, the, if you want your child does. not to do something, don't do it, because your child is going to emulate yourself, the parent. Exactly, exactly. So maybe the parents are the ones who need the chinuch. They certainly do. Parenting classes, parenting advice, certainly. Well, I hear. Okay, next question I would like to ask you. Are there any differences in bullying between younger children and teenagers that sort of subside once the, the, they become from a child to a teenager? Or well, if parents allow children to have cell phones, which, you know, I personally don't, you know, there, there should be certain rules about cell phones. But one of the main differences between bullying among younger children and teens is the use of the cell phones and other technology to the bully. This kind of bullying is called cyberbullying. It's, it's really prevalent among teens, and it can have devastating results, as the attacks can even enter the teens' homes through their telephones. And unfortunately, it's happening in our communities. Wow. Yeah, wow. definitely. 
Definitely. So, so what does the community you feel need to do? What can we do to... We have to limit. There was a, one, a big asifa about cell phones. You know, we have to limit what the cell phone is able to do. Just for safety, to be able to call out is a wonderful thing. But this texting and this all this Internet stuff is very, very dangerous. Today is a very big problem. Very big I, I, was, I was so, like, devastated. Tremendous so, people with all the, the top rabbanim Devastated and so disappointed that girls and young people are, are texting on Shabbos. And terrible, it's, terrible, it, it becomes, terrible epidemic. It, it becomes like you're glued, whether it's a cell phone, whether it's an iPad, whether it's a computer. It's like you're glued. You know what I mean? Even like 100%. Before, before you I had a father a, in my office the other day, and he said when he talks to his kids... He makes them, he, he, they don't even look at him anymore. They just, they say, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening, and they have their eyes glued to their iPhones. And the father says, when you eat dinner, I don't want those phones at the dinner table. I want them left in another room so that we can have a family talk without looking down, with looking at each other, with eye contact. You know, I once heard, a, I once heard a, a CD from Rabbi, a few years ago from Rabbi Yitzchak Saratskin, and he said in the, he was at the Rashiva and tells, and the tells of Rosh Hashiva, you know, with the Bachram, I mean, if, if the Bachram were outside eating, in other words, walking and eating, you know, I, I can't say the words he would say to the Bachram, but even if they were in the, in the dining room, and they're walking around the dining room, this is without the cell phones, and they're walking around in the dining room and they're eating, he would go over to them, they were very mechanach in them, you, just by the eating, just sit down at a table, the table is a mizbeach, and eat the way the Rabboni Shalom wants you to eat, sitting the way you're supposed to be sitting at a Mizbeach, and make the food into a, its Kedusha. 100%. And today, no one's got time. People out one foot out the door before they finish their, 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 their bread or before they finish their breakfast, they're one foot out the door. They're not sitting at the table. They're walking around from one room to another without the shy of all the brachas from one room to another. 100%. But they're not, they're, they're just, they're, they're so inside of them their, their nervous system is so, the anxiety today, you know what I mean? They can't sit still. You know, I once had a, a, a successful businessman. He comes into my store, and he buys a few products. So he came into me after buying a few products. He says, you know, something interesting. I don't know if there's a correlation. When I would be by davening, I would find myself walking back, you know, up and forth the aisles during daven. Let's say Pesukah de Zimra, you see people walking down the aisle, up and down the aisle. So, you know, either he's, uh, this is the way I look at it, either his, his kavanas are so in Shemayim, you know what I mean? His, he has t- attuned to the Rabboni Shalom in Shemayim, or he just can't sit still. So he said to me, an interesting phenomenon. I find myself sitting in my seat. I started taking Omega-3, I started taking your nature's calm. And I find myself sitting in my seat more during davening. So if, if there's such an anxiety, if there's such a nervousness, you know, then, then today that's going to cause, you know, whether it's bullying, whether it's this and that, because you're just so frustrated inside with yourself. Right. So on that note, Rebel Eliezer, I'd like to share with you, you know, other things we could do about what we could do if our children are targets of bullying. What we need to do is talk to our child. Tell your child that you're concerned about them and that you would like to help them. You can also ask direct questions like, are you or any of the other kids at school, are there any kids that treat you meanly? Or indirect questions such as, are there any kids at school who you really don't like? Why? Broaching the topic is the first step towards prevention. Prevention, as you said before, three times. Prevention, prevention, prevention. I agree with you wholeheartedly with everything, because we could stop the bullying. Listen to your child. Allow your child to share his fears and frustrations. Keep your emotions in check. If you show your child you're too emotional, your child will hesitate before talking to you about it again. Stay calm so you can act in a supportive figure in your child's life. Such great advice. Talk to your staff at school. Talk to them. Make an appointment to see them so they can help prevent the bullying. And if you're not comfortable talking to your child's teacher, make an appointment with the principal. Teach your child to walk with confidence. If your child appears confident, then walk from the situation you're signaling to the bully that the bully cannot hurt him. Encourage other friendships. Promote true friendships by telling your child to invite other children for play dates and study dates. I had a little tip, a parenting tip, in the Ami magazine, a bully thing. It says about bullying, TLC, tell people about it, look confident, 
change the community, work with others to stop the bully behavior. Your whole school will benefit from this change. Also, as I said earlier, in the Rosh Hashanah Bina, there is a whole panel of experts that will be discussing bullying questions. It would be very advisable for people to look into that. And as well, my friend Bully has many tips. Wow, very good. So on that note, we dive in of Harachamon in the Tfilas Chana before Lech Benchen, Zakeni Bivon Muvonois, Shoimrei Toiru Mitzvois, Veozreni Laham Tzilohem, Melamdim, Madrichim, Mechanchim, Yerei Hashem, Hanosnim Chinuch, Bederach HaToira, Vahamasaira, Amen. What I'm saying is that if the teachers and principals will just show empathy and caring and work with the school staff to prevent the bullying, we will have so much less bullying in our community. Children will be so much more socially adept. And on that note, again, as I always say, we need siyata deshmaya. And I want to wish everybody a gitke ben a kasiva v'chasima toiva. And prevention, again, is the cure. If we could, you know, be conscious of it and prevent it, we will have a bunch of happy kindalach. You know, Mrs. Schoenfeld, amen to your, to your bracha. I, I have, a, as you were speaking, I thought of an idea that we'll speak about maybe in, you know, whether in the near, in very near future. For the last five years, if not longer, I've always wanted to come out with a series of books. You know, like Rabbi Chorsky has, the psychiatrist has these, pan, not pan, but these paperback books, a series. So from all ages, starting with pregnancy, going throughout the lifespan, in, infancy and children, adolescents, and, and into young adults, middle-aged adults, and the geriatric population, and whatever, my busy schedule, and it just never happened. And then about, about six months ago to a year ago, I got an email from a mechanic, a mechanic who is a seventh-grade rebbe. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, Mr. Gruber, you had a CD on attention deficit hyperactivity, which I heard, and I got information, a lot of information from this CD. You need to come out with a book for Mechanchem and for parents on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So I said, okay. So I spoke to a woman who does a lot of my writing with me. We work together on different projects together. And I said, this is the Zman. Let's start a series of books. And let's start with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Bez Hashem, with the Rabbanu Shalom, Siyat we're three quarters away uh, from, the, from the end, finishing this book. We hope by Sukkot's time, right after Sukkot, for the new Zman, to come out with this book. And then I was thinking, as, our, as we were speaking, you were speaking, maybe a series, part of the series. I of, have a series. You know, Rabbi Eliezer, I have, a, I have an ADHD book out. You know the name of it, my friend, the troublemaker, at and the bully. I'm coming out with another part of the series, my friend series, my friend the volcano. That's going to be coming out in oh, so in October. So you must. So I have you, a you series. Must, you, it's called Rebeliezer, a biblical therapy series. And I have right following that book, my friend the warrior. So there'll be a series of four books. So you must my show me. Bully, you, must, you must show my, me your new book. You must. Yeah, my friend the troublemaker, friend the volcano, and my friend the warrior. And maybe I should just give you the telephone number so in case people have questions yeah, about what we discussed today, yeah, people could sh- reach me please. at 718-382-5437. Any questions on bullying or any bibliotherapy issues, I will be more than happy to answer anyone's questions anytime. Maybe you want to repeat the number just one more time? Sure, thank you so much. 718 382 5437. Rivka Schoenfeld. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank, thank you so much, Rabbi Eliezer, for having me on the show and wishing you and your family a ksiva, the chasima taiva, and Klal Yisrael. You and your mishpach also. Thank you so much. Be well. Before we end this, today's show, we have a couple more minutes. I've spoken about in the past, but it's very relevant to, to Mrs. Schoenfeld, what she spoke about all the information she gave about bullying. Um, recently, I was did an interview, as I mentioned before in my introduction, communicating with scientists, researchers in the field, but bridging the gap, medicine, nutrition. So I had the privilege 
This is the second time that I've interviewed him. Somebody the name of Dr. Joseph Hibbelin, he's at the National Institute of Health, which is the largest research medical center in the world in Bethesda, Maryland. And we spoke quite a while. He is a, he's head of the drug and the alcohol department at the National Institute of Health. He has thousands of papers from, from psychiatry. Basically, he's a psychiatrist, psychiatrist besides a scientist. He's a psychiatrist by profession. Thousands of papers on psychiatric problems. He's now involved in a $10 million grant on ex-military people that are suicidal and from the NIH. And in my interview with him, we spoke about the population site in the United States, psychiatric problems today. And he gave me, he said like this, he said, you know, this was already the first interview eight years ago. I said, Dr. Hiblin, before we hang up the phone with each other, the last piece of advice, information, I go back and forth to Israel and the United States, that you could say over to me, I could give over to my people. So eight years ago, I remember he said to me, it rings in my ears all the time, tell your people to go back to their roots. I said, what do you mean? He says, tell your people to go back and eat what they ate in Egypt. It's a Pasuk in Chumash, in Baalosecha, in, ba- in, in Sefer Bamidbor. They ate fish, they ate vegetation. And I remember he said, tell them to stop with their canola oil. The canola oil was just an example. What did he mean? According to the World Health Organization, you have two essential fatty acids, fat. Everybody knows what fat is. Fat has gotten the bad rap. Now carbohydrates has gotten the bad rap. But two essential fatty acids the body has to get. One is a family called omega-6. It's flooded in the food industry, in the supermarkets. Omega-6 is your corn oil, your sunflower, your safflower, your soybean oil, your canola oil. Look, you women out there, and look in your cupboards, look in your closets, in your food closets, and look at the ingredients. Almost every packaged good has some type, even a whole wheat cracker except one or two companies, has some type of vegetable oil in it, number one. Number two, that's omega-6. Omega-3 is very difficult to get in the diet. You get it from salmon, you get it from sardines, you get it from mackerel, you get it from anchovies. You get a very a weaker omega-3 from flax seeds, from chia seeds, from walnuts, but that's a much weaker form of omega-3. The World Health Organization, the proper ratio for human biochemistry and physiology is a one-to-one ratio omega-6 to omega-3. In this country, we're looking at anywhere from 15 to 35 to 1 ratio. What does that translate to? That translates to more aggressive behavior. It it translates, he's a scientist looking at 38 countries, more homicides. Why in this country are there more homicides than other countries? He sent me an email in the UK, a very well done study in prisoners that hit each other. We're speaking about bullying today with Mrs. Schoenfeld. Hit each other, they bully each other, fight with each other. And they decided to do a study. It's published. Anybody needs wants a copy of the study, be more than happy to call my office, and I'll provide them a copy of the study, that they gave a set of prisoners a certain portion of the population in the prison in the UK. They gave them two things. They gave them a multivitamin, and they gave them omega-3 fish oil. At the end of the study, there was a 37.5 decrease in imprisoned crime. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. How could it be? How could it be if we're looking? I said before in the introduction, we're living in a clonopin, a Prozac, a Bilify, a Depakote, a lithium generation. These are staples. Speak to any pharmacist. Any pharmacist. How many of the psychotropic medications are leaving the pharmacy today? It's exploding, exploding. And one a father comes to me with a child, my child's four, my child, no, my child is eight years old, eight and a half years old. You know, Mr. Gruber, when he eats red number 40, which all these things are loaded in the foods today, we have everything but food today in the supermarkets, he's explosive. Within a very short time, within an hour, he, has a, he goes into like a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde, he goes into an explosive personality. 
coupled along. So the diets that we're eating are causing explosion. And if we coupled along, like Dr. Hiblin says, it's a, such a valuable piece of information. What do you mean go back to the roots? Go back to your roots. Get back to a balance in your chemistry. If you take children, I've seen it over and over again. I just had a psychiatrist buy from Nutri-Supreme a thousand bottles of omega-3. What is he doing? That He's a psychiatrist at a well-known medical center. Why? Psychiatrists have another psychiatrist that sends us patients for omega-3. And he's still dealing, yes, he's working with his Abilify and his Depakote and his Lithium and his Prozac and his other medications. But he's bridging the gap between medicine and nutrition. So where should we start? Start in our own kitchen. What are we feeding our children today? I said when I went, one time when we did a show on J Root, Radio J Root, I spent about 45 minutes going through the aisles of a supermarket. And getting a clear understanding, what can I communicate to our listeners? What, you gatekeepers, you mothers out there, what can you feed your husbands, your family, your children, your parents? What can you, and I'm walking up and down the aisles, and I said to my, my wife, I called my wife, you know, if I would, could go over to the manager of the supermarket and ask him, he won't give me permission for what I'm going to say, I would like to have a ladder, I would like to have a 10-foot ladder, and I would go down each aisle, you know, you have aisles, you have signs in the aisles. The aisles, you have a, you have a soda aisle. You have a, you have a canned good aisle. You have a detergent aisle. You have frozen products, frozen good food products. You have a candy aisle, and the candy aisles are getting more and more in the supermarkets today. And I said, I said, I would like to go up, take the, go on this ladder, pull down the signs, and say, this is a diabetes aisle. This is a heart attack aisle. This is a depression aisle. This is a bipolar aisle. This is an attention deficit hyperactivity aisle. What are we feeding our children today? Why are there so many problems today? If our children are so imbalanced, overconsumption and malnutrition, that's why I said to my wife that we need to put a sign around our necks that we are normal because today what's called abnormal looks Normal. One of the Gedolim, I think it was Reb Steinman, I heard from one of the, somebody who came into my office, B'Shem Reb Steinman, you know, think generations change, whatever, every decade or two. Today, generations change every three years. Every three years is a new generation. I have to confirm that, that that came from him, from the Goyen, the Tzadik, Reb Leib Steinman. But that, that's not surprising to me. Every three years, we have a new generation with technology, with what's going with the kids today. Everything, where, where, where is, what can the Mechanchem do? We need a strong, as I mentioned, education, education, education. This is where it begins. Without education, from all parameters, then we're fighting a losing battle. This is what I would like to leave you with, the clear message I would like to give out the number, the address, the Nutri-Supreme Research Education Center located at 4315 14th Avenue in the heart of Borough Park. Our phone number is, the 800 number is 888-68-NUTRI. The local number is 718-853-0644. I'm wishing all of you such a wonderful Shabbos and a Kasiva v'chasima toivah.